What's good, y'all? Welcome to In the Deep, a Deep League-focused fantasy baseball podcast. My name is Jordan White, and I am joined once again this week by my good friend and co-host, Chris Weber, Schwebzy. How you doing tonight, bud? Hi, friends. I'm doing good. The, the, the Mets got to start Marcus Stroman to throw like two pitches today, so that was nice, have, having a good time. I, okay, with- I literally didn't even think about that until just now when you brought it back up, and I saw it earlier today. I'm so upset that the ums didn't call that game immediately what a waste i mean it's it's been a fun <laughs> like last year i i liked to say that the mets were metsing extra hard to try to condense all of their mets into one you know a 60 game season oh yeah yeah less time to do it of course but, but now i'm seeing that that's just the mets it's just it's just a constant barrage of metsiness <sighs> so disappointing i mean i'm i'm really glad that stroman was so vocal Yes. Uh, to the umpires about wanting to delay the game because it was very clearly unsafe. Yeah, it moment. was nonsense. Um, like they were like I was watching the the couple of pitches that did get thrown. There were puddles around the pitcher's mound. Like it was ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Like uh, Lindor was standing in a puddle. Even like uh, Jesus Aguilar was at the plate and just like, I can't swing the bat safely. I'm going to throw this thing. Like, like please just Jose get us Al- off the field. Jose Altuve would have drowned. <laughs> Uh, don't talk about the short Kings that way. <laughs> don't do that to them. Apologies to all short Kings out there. Anyways, uh, regular season, we're done with like the first full, full week, which is really, really cool. Everything's going just as we expected. So Tyler Naquin is leading the league in homers. Yermin Mercedes is in the lead for the batting title and Connor Brogdon is the leader in wins for the league. So everything going exactly as we expected, nothing out of place here. Uh, Schwebs, how, how are we feeling about this first full week? As we like to say about baseball, everything is very, very predictable and everything always happens as we expect. Um, so did you see that Yermin Mercedes had a no hits today? He he just went over one with three walks. I love all the people that were freaking out like, oh, yeah, he can hit, but obviously he hasn't taken any walks yet. And this man just continues to get on base every way possible under the sun. But uh, I'm such yeah. a fan and like I'm only becoming more of a fan as time goes on. The guy is a dude, as some people would put it. He's pretty great. God, he's so fun to watch. Uh, yeah. He's been probably the highlight for me of the first full week of the season, or just like the first couple weeks of the season here, I got to say. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed uh, in, in my AL only league, like snagging him for cheap while everyone, there was, there was like a feeding frenzy, a fab frenzy over Andrew Vaughn, and I just snuck Yermin in. It was nice. Well, it's like a lot of people after that first very short sample were very like reasonably waffling, not sure if they wanted to add your mean, but those are the opportunities that you kind of have to jump on. And in this case, it paid off handsomely for you. So good work, Schwebs. That's a very small victory lap for you. He's only hitting 556. All of my victory laps are small victory laps in, in my tiny little child sized Jeep that I take my victory laps in uh-huh. or one of those, those, those little <laughs> red child vehicles with the yellow top, the plastic ones. Yes, the Little Tykes uh, pedal cars. Yes, that's what I take all my victory laps in. Uh, I will be lending uh, a Little Tykes pedal car to our friends over at PL Shorts. Thank you so much for absolutely just thrashing us in the first week of the podcast network, Lee. Uh, Seven to one. We just got absolutely wrecked. I think our ERA was something like, I don't know, it was pretty small. It was like seven, something like that, a whip (laughs) of like 1.56. So we're absolutely killing it in the podcast network league. Uh, currently living up to our name by sitting in the deepest part of the standings. So that's really great. But uh, kudos to our friends over at PL Shorts for kicking the absolute crud out of us. 
I'm just going to pretend that I didn't know that it was weekly. And that's because. Yeah, totally. Oh, boy. Well, like we we had like a 14 game week and we were da- down uh, or no, it was like 11, 11 days worth of week. Yeah. And we were down like a 11. few players. It wasn't pretty. <laughs> 11 days worth of week. Well, it wasn't good. <laughs> that is a phrase. Uh, yeah, it wasn't great. We Fantasy we, baseball. Love it. Love it so much. Uh, so, yeah, uh, it's a new week, though. We have some people that we want to talk about over this 11-day span that we had to start the season here, including someone that I think, sadly, we're probably going to have to retire from in the deep fame because this week he's probably going to exceed that 20% cap that we try to keep our players under, and that is he's one got to. Jazz Chisholm Jr. Schwebs, would you like to perform the eulogy for Jazz? I'm I'm such a fan. It's um, On the one hand, it's very sad that we won't be able to talk about him anymore, uh, most True. likely, but on it, we we like to see the guys that we call out graduate also because a yeah it means we're giving you good advice hopefully and b yeah it, it means that these players that we like are succeeding so it's you know it's bittersweet so I don't know if you guys saw but Jazz Chisholm Jr. hit a home run this uh this this week yesterday for us. And the home run that he hit was off of a hundred mile an hour Jake DeGrom fastball that was out of the zone up. It was insane. This and that's is not thing an too. easy thing to do. Did you see the did you see the comment that he made? Which one? There's lots. The comment that he made about the fastball, specifically about DeGrom's well, fastball. How it was like it was it was it was a slow one hundred. Yeah, it was a light one hundred. A light one hundred. Are you kidding me? Like, I love this man so much. Now I, I'm it's wildly impressive that he did this, but I'm going to use this as a quick little fun fact section because that's, this is the first. So we all know that in the past, like two, three years, Jake DeGrom's velocity has increased and he started throwing like 9,900, 101 on the regular. This is the first time that he's ever given up a home run on a fastball of a hundred or more. Dang. And, and it was jazz chisel to do it. So on top of that, in the stack cast, era and now this factoid is a uh, courtesy of matthew brownstein of mesmerized I'm, I'm stealing this from his tweet and i want to give him credit for it only seven players in the stack cast era have recorded a hit on a pitch that hard and that high and jazz chisholm jr is the only one for that to, that hit to have been a home run that's insane it's truly impressive like what a swing because not only was it a home run but it was a pulled home run on a hundred mile an hour fastball, and he hit it about four hundred feet. It was like high and away too, wasn't it? Like he had to reach out and kind of get it. It wasn't like an instinct of like this is high and in, and I'm just gonna like pull the hands in and pop this thing. It was I just like a really he, nice like, swing. I have to assume he was sitting on it because any anything else would blow my mind. Well, the first two pitches I believe were low and away fastballs that got called for strikes because I think it was a it was a two strike count too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you sit on that. I don't know how you don't sit on the slider there. And you just sit on that high heap. But yeah, it was an insane piece of hitting from jazz. Like kudos to him. Yikes. So if you're, if you're still waffling on whether or not to add jazz Chisholm jr. I do still think he's swinging and missing a bit too much, but he's not chasing like at all. And like strikeouts were a concern and there's two ways to strike out, right? You either swing or miss or you chase or you, uh, you can watch it go by. But uh, he's generally not chasing like at all. And that's really encouraging because that was, you know, that was a bit of a problem before. 
he has improved both his K rate and his walk rate on the young season so far. And we love to see that. That pretty much always portends a, an increase in production, unless your name is Carter Keboom, uh, RIP Carter Keboom. Oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> they brought him up as a replacement for their COVID guys and then like didn't even use him. It's so sad. Uh, rip, buddy. I hope he gets another chance, but... Uh. but yeah, uh, I digress. I think a 15 home run, 20 stolen base season is absolutely possible here for jazz like your average speedster just isn't capable of hitting a dinger like that like that we just saw Mm -mm. so i do like there's power potential in this bat Uh, it's just a matter of whether he you know he can bring it into the game or not so yes it was only one swing but it's it's made me like really excited for what's to come for jazz chisholm jr i'm continuing to just ride this hype train honestly i missed out on him in a uh auto new league off the wire which really really upset me made me really really sad uh missed out by apparently someone thought that he was worth like 12 dollars, so they bid Oof. 12 bucks on him uh i'm not gonna bid that much on jazz chisel but i mean if you can get him anywhere and everywhere it seems like he's going to be getting the lion's share of the reps there at second base earning that and he's also just i mean he's got that very classic power speed combo that you find out of a shortstop because he was brought up as a shortstop. So in a very shallow second base pool, for the most part, this is a really, really great bat to find uh, if he is still available because currently he's only rostered in about 17% combined between uh, ESPN and Yahoo leagues. Go get him. Like he's going to be a great asset for you. Please just help him clear that 20% threshold so we can very sadly retire him from our podcast. Yeah, there's a little bit of a clash here because the numbers that we have to use for our ownership uh, percentages are from Yahoo and ESPN, which tend to not be the deeper leagues. Exactly. Uh, you get a lot yeah. of standard leagues there. So it's very possible that Chisholm is already gone in your league. If you're, you know, if you're listening to us, you're probably deeper focused. But if he's there, you know, go out and grab him. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh Moving on to Philip Evans. So Philip Evans is basically the person that has been taking Cabrian Hayes' place in the absence of Cabrian Hayes while he is on the IL. And he's making the most of it. Schwebzy, let's talk a little bit about uh, Philip Evans and then what his outlook is like right now, how he's performed. And also, after Cabrian Hayes returns, do you think he still has a spot once uh, that return occurs? All right. Short answer, yes. And... Be basically since since he has started playing again in 2021, he's hit the ball really hard. He's not chasing anything. He's not missing the ball when it's in the zone. He's hit fastballs. He's hit breaking pitches. He's hit off speed pitches. He's like 75th, 75th percentile or better in basically every st- baseball savant slider except for walk percentage. Which it, even that he's like at an acceptable 46 percentile. So like, that's it, right? He's a great, he's, he's, if you just look at this, it's like, he's one of the best hitters in the league. And then you can like, stop looking at other things. But obviously, uh, you know, we're talking about Philip Evans and there's a reason that most casual baseball fans haven't heard of him. It's because historically he's, hasn't been that good. You know, former Met legend, Philip Evans. Oh, he Uh, is a former Met. I forgot about that. A a MOFA. Was he, was he ever like like a, a big prospect in the Mets system really. or anything like that. Like he was, didn't really get that much hype. See, I, I don't know. 
No, he was he was like that a uh, Ty Kelly kind of guy who like he had he had a bit of bat, but just you know was never that good. Got it. Okay. So obviously he's going to come back to Earth a bit, but is he still worth a pickup? Yes, I think so, like hundred percent. Because we talked about him currently playing where Cabrian Hayes would be playing, but he's also got some run in the outfield. Historically, he's played some left field and right field, and as of right now. The Pirates outfield is uh, Brian Reynolds, Gregory Polanco, and oh my God, I'm blanking on their third outfielder. I honestly could not even tell you off the top of my head either, to be fair. To be fair. This is, uh, to be fair. So, oh, Dustin Fowler. So that is, that is uh, you know, one, one name we like in Brian Reynolds, one perpetual sleeper who stays asleep in Gregory Polanco. And then Dustin Fowler, who I maybe he's got some post prospect hype, but I don't really think so. No, I'm not really. So Dustin Fowler is currently playing center field while Brian Reynolds plays left. I think once Cabrian Hayes comes back, you're going to see a shift of Philip Evans into left field and Brian Reynolds into center. Okay. So I do think the playing time will stay just because if he's hitting like this, you just you can't bench him. Not when you're as offense starved as the Pirates are. Yeah, exactly. I mean, notoriously poor offense year over year in the Pirates. There's no reason that they wouldn't keep that bat out on the field. And that's the thing, too, is like it seems like he would be able to play all over the infield as well, because he said he's been quoted as saying that he's willing to just play anywhere that they're going to put him. So I'm hoping that he can spell people for days off and stuff like that, and they can try to keep his bat in the lineup. Um, Yeah, so he's he's a corner guy. He can play first, third, both corner outfield spots. But uh, the Pirates corner infield is pretty much accounted for with Cabrian Hayes and Colin Moran, who we'll actually get to in a bit. But what about production on the field? Like, he can't keep doing what he's doing, but will he still be worth rostering as far as production? So a weird thing about his production right now is that he's hitting better than he ever has, but he's got a ground ball rate higher than he ever has. Like his, he's hitting like 57% ground balls, which is not good. That's not what we want to see out of basically anybody, let alone someone who we want to provide us a little bit of power. And this is bad, especially because his current production on liners and fly balls is insane. He's got an 812 expected Woba on line drives and a 774 expected Woba on fly balls. If he can return his batted ball profile to his career norms, which is more fly balls, more line drives, fewer ground balls, and still maintain this kind of contact quality, like there could be a really legit breakout here. Like he's not going to stay this good, but he could be, you know, we saw the start of a breakout last year. So, I mean, we might just be seeing a continuation right now. Totally possible. Um, And I don't know what bidding looked like because we did have uh – all of our TGFBI bids go through tonight. I don't know if you were able to snag him in your league or if you know what he went for in your league, perchance. Oh, I absolutely was able to snag him. So my TGFBI team is just devastated. So I needed a corner bat really badly. So uh, I picked up Philip Evans. I got him for 20 bucks, And I am uh, 20 fab dollars out of the 1000 So that was that's what, like a 2%, 2% of my budget, I think, is that? Yeah, 20 that out of 1000 would be 2%, yeah. correct. So... Yeah, I mean, I'm, and I was bidding against nobody, which actually really surprised me because I, I just, I can't believe he's not useful for more teams. But yeah, I, I'm, I was actually considering going higher, 
base partially because of need, but also because I just think he's going to keep hitting. For sure. Yeah. I mean, he's going to be getting those opportunities for a bit here still. And I do hope that he takes one of those corner infield spots and then, Hey, you know what? He can spell Colin Moran when Colin Moran needs a day off too. So he will get his reps. He will get his opportunities. Um, and like for me, he only went for six bucks in fab bidding in my league. That's a super cheap pickup for a guy who's going to hopefully produce for you and get some good uh, at-bats for a, well, subpar offensive team. So uh, hopefully he's betting somewhere near the top and can score some runs and uh, get some RBIs and such. But we'll see if he can maintain that quality of contact, like you said, and still kind of trend back towards those career norms. Hopefully he can. That'd be a really, really great pickup for you. Um, but again... Next guy that we're going to talk about somewhat blocking his playing time once Brian Hayes returns as well is Colin Moran. So Colin Moran's a guy that I've seen a lot of being a Brewers fan over the past three, four years. Um, He's a really boring power bat and always seems to have like the tools to have a really, really good year, but never really puts everything together. Um, Schwebs, how do you feel about Moran and do you think he's worth a roster spot? It's one of those things where you have to know what you're getting. Yeah. Like if you, if you're looking at your roster and you're like, boy, I have, I have all these good players, but I'm really lacking in power. Like what kind of guy do I need to fill my utility spot or my corner infield spot? Then you're looking at Moran. He's like, you, you mentioned like how boring is he's like, no one really thinks about Colin Moran. It's probably because of the pirates. Like, I was trying to think of like a similar player and it's like maybe like Renato Nunez. It's like, yeah, he has 30 home run power, but no one cares. That's a pretty good comp, I would say. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I think Moran has more batting average upside than someone like Nunez. But yeah, uh, the thing about like these guys like Evans and Moran, it's Pittsburgh. So like the bar is low. As like like no one's no one's coming up to like take their playing time if they're producing even like you know mildly okay so yeah you know they have to fight each other a little bit but like I said with Evans like if Evans is really pressing he's not going to take Moran's playing time because Moran's actually half decent he's going to take Dustin Fowler's playing time because Fowler isn't yeah exactly um there, there's always going to be someone on that pittsburgh roster who is expendable if someone starts hitting true and that's the thing too is like i don't know you look at colin Moran; he's been relatively healthy since 2018 like he's played 140 plus games and uh but 144 in 2018 or and then more than that in each season following except for last year where he started 52 games but i mean the power never really showed up all the way right like he hasn't quite gotten to the point where he's he hasn't put up 20 home runs in a season once so it right. hasn't quite all been put together um he did put up 10 last year which is relevant yes he did put up 10 last year and that's the thing too is like we're talking about this power that is seemingly there and we're just waiting for the full breakout the thing that we have to note with that as well though is that he may have sacrificed some of that or some of that contact for by selling out for some of that power because he only hit 247 last year compared to 277 in both 2018 and 2019 um and that's the thing too, is you look at his zone contact rate so far this year, it's only at 69%. Very nice, obviously, but, nice. <laughs> but, um, I don't down, see a problem. From a, down from a career norm of like 85, 86%. Um, his contact in general is just down. So it would be nice if we can see that power again this year and then have him bring up 
that zone contact rate. Um, but I'm more of a wait and see on Colin Moran. I just think that with such an anemic offense surrounding him, I'm leaning away from picking him up. And unless, I mean, you get Brian Hayes back and then you have Philip Evans there as well. And everyone starts kind of performing at like a 90th percentile. Uh, I would probably steer clear of Colin Moran, but he's someone that's going to get regular playing time. And if you want a little extra pop on your lineup, then he's someone find a slot in there at a corner infield spot, probably in like an NL only league. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what? so what we've got with him is somebody who over his last 60 games this year and last year has been like truly elite at barreling the ball up. And like, it's basically, it's his only real like elite skill, but like, if you're going to be a lead at one thing, like that's a really good thing to be good at. So, it, you know, he was, uh, he was what he's 96 percentile this year, which is only four barrels cause it's eight games, but he was also 87th percentile in barrel rate last year. So yeah, we're, it's 60 games is still not even close to a full season, but he's been, you know, he's been doing this for a little bit now. So I, I do think this is over like a full season, at least a 25 home run bat. Yeah, it would be amazing to see him do that. I mean, like you said, I think that there actually is with the 10 homers last year that we saw over the course of 52 games. This is a guy that could theoretically very easily go and hit 30 homers in a season. I do think that's like a 95th percentile outcome for him. But like you said, if he continues to barrel the ball, it's completely within reason to think that he could reach that ceiling. Um, What kind of leagues are you looking for him in, Schwebs, if you would roster him? All right, so this is like a this is like an NL only corner infield bat. Like I don't think he's rostered in a twelve teamer. Maybe no. maybe a six maybe a sixteen team with corner infields. I could see that too. Yeah, agreed. That's 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 probably the shallowest league that I would own him in, off the top of my head. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, just off the top of the head, between him and Philip Evans right now, which one would you, would you rather have on your roster? Evans. Evans because. So I, I think it's it's going to be very quick for Evans to get outfield eligibility along with his corner infield. And also, I think there's more batting average upside. And just o- like the overall offensive profile appears to be better at this point. Fair enough. Yeah. And I think also having a, a higher ground ball rate, while it does depress the power numbers, I think does contribute to a higher average floor as well. So even if Evans continues hitting the ball at a low launch angle like he has been, He'll probably still have a pretty high average floor in comparison to Moran, who seems to be, I mean, he's swinging and missing a lot more this year so far, which again, it's early. It's very hard for us to actually make a real judgment on this, but we have to work with what info we have. Moving on to someone that Shrubsy has been hyping up quite a bit in the PL Plus Discord in regards to possibly getting catcher eligibility finally, which like catchers are typically a very shallow position as well, especially difficult when you have a league that is like two catchers. I hate, I, I despise two catcher leagues so, so, so much, but this is a guy that might still be out there for you. Well, probably will still be out there for you. And is it just about to get catcher eligibility? Schwebzy, let's talk a little bit about Zach Collins. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I've been insufferable in the pitcherless plus discord talking about Z, the Zach Collins catcher eligibility watch. Yeah. He actually played his third game at catcher today. So uh, unless you're, unless I'm, you know, mixing up how they handle this. Like maybe he came in as a sub, but I'm, I'm pretty sure he started three games. So uh, yeah, starting tomorrow, he should have that catcher eligibility, which immediately makes him relevant 
in my eyes. And uh, the reason I'm so excited about him is because, yes, he's a catcher. Yes, he's a backup to Yasmani Grandal, but he's a lefty with a good bat. And that means that you get to see him in platoon lineups in the DH spot. Now, this is going to depend a little bit on how Yermin Mercedes continues to perform, how Andrew Vaughn performs. It's going to be a little bit contingent on other players. But as of right now, Collins is getting pretty consistent playing time for a backup catcher. So I think he's absolutely relevant in basically any league that rosters two catchers. I'm even talking like I, I'm even talking about like just a normal 12 teamer with two catchers. I think he could absolutely be a top 24 catcher eligible player this year. So what you're hoping for with Collins is like a Sean Murphy style skill set. It's probably going to be a low batting average, good bit of power, plenty of walks, bonus points if you're in an OBP league for Collins. He he's even better there. But if your second catcher is someone like Jose Trevino or Martin Maldonado, I'm absolutely snagging Collins the second that I see he's got catcher eligibility. And this is another one of those practice what you preach things. Uh, I've actually had him snuck away on a bench spot in my AL only league, waiting for him to get this catcher eligibility so I can immediately drop, sorry, Jordan, Ryan Jeffers and start slotting in Zach Collins in that spot. Ah, that hurts a little bit. It does. But this is the thing too about Zach Collins as well is, He's worked really, really hard over the past few years to improve his defense, which has made his prospects for actually getting playing time much better as well. Like he's actually semi-reliable. I mean, like I think he played, I think he started today, if I'm not mistaken. He had like a couple of really good blocks. Yeah, he caught Cease today. Um, And there was a couple of pitches in the dirt uh, that he did a really, really good job blocking. So, I mean, defensively, that improvement is going to allow him to get more playing time as well. That's something that we talk about, especially with a lot of these deeper league picks is if they can prove that they're able to play defense that guarantees more playing time and the playing time is what we're looking for, for these guys that are owned on like anywhere from like one to 5% of teams when you're playing in those leagues that have either it's an AL or NL only, or if it's a 16 team league with deep benches, you want to make sure that you have those guys that are going to get playing time in one capacity or another. Um, I think the bats always been there, but the fact that the defense is there excellent for Zach Collins, uh, and Larusa seems to like him and really, really dislikes Andrew Vaughn for some reason, which for I do not understand. For some reason. And the confirmation bias that's going to occur because he pinch hit uh, Adam Eaton for Andrew Vaughn today and Eaton hit a homer is going to be so high. I just had to touch on that real quick because that's infuriating. I don't know why they're not playing Vaughn more, but um, yeah, it's a really interesting one. Um, anything else on Collins, Schwebs? No, not really. Uh, I'm I'm big on him. I'm I'm I actually uh, I think I picked him up in our Pitcherlist startup dynasty league also, because thank you so much. Yeah, catcher eligibility, baby. You're the man. Always looking out for us. Thanks, buddy. Of course. All right, moving on to the COVID-riddled Washington Nationals and their completely messed up first base situation. Um, obviously they wanted Josh Bell over there at first base batting every day in their lineup, but luckily they have the old stalwart Ryan Zimmerman still available to them, who is not uh, on the COVID list. Uh, Schwebzy, he's actually been swinging the bat really, really well so far this year, which is yeah surprising to me. And I feel like a lot of other folks. Well, we, he killed it in spring training and I know, 
we look at spring training as meaningless, but he has carried that right over into the regular season. So, all right, this is, you know, not all of our suggestions are in the same vein. This one is purely if you need a temporary first baseman, like say you've got Cody Bellinger who just got hurt. Say you've got Josh Bell who is out for an uh, undetermined amount of time. Now, Shwante, uh, just real quick, would you say that you're speaking from experience here when you say something like this? Schwebzi has Cody Bellinger in a lot of leagues, I feel like, and he's hurt. I do. I do. And it's very sad. I also have Bellinger on a few different teams, so I feel your pain. I understand. Sorry, I just had to do that quick A side. Continue. <laughs> just got to hurt my heart right in the middle of things. Yeah. Uh, so uh, in in my case, uh, I actually roster Josh Bell in my NL only league, and my replacement there was Evan Longoria, who I do like more than Ryan Zimmerman. But let's say someone like Longoria isn't available. I do think Ryan Zimmerman is absolutely rosterable and very usable as long as Josh Bell is hurt because he's just he's just killing the ball right now. He's got a, a batting average of 381 and an expected batting average of 375 to match. He's got an insane 46% line drive rate right now, which is bolstered by a 61.5% hard hit percentage. Now, that hard hit rate is a little bit misleading given his uncharacteristically below league average zone contact numbers. Usually he's much better at making contact, but so far not really. But as long as his body allows him to play, like he's still got it. Like he can still hit a baseball. There's even some upside here as he hasn't put the ball in the air at all so far. So the production that you're seeing could arguably get better in the coming days. I don't expect Zimmerman to be a good pickup for longer than like a week. But if you need a if you need a corner infielder this week, Zimmerman's a really nice short term pickup. Yeah, I mean, I've liked what I've seen from him so far. I'm I'm really just concerned, obviously, with when Josh Bell inevitably returns. If he's still going to get oh, any opportunities, yeah. no. As soon as Bell's um, back, toss him right back on the wire. Yeah, exactly. And then I I'm trying to figure out if he'd be worth it, like an interleague play, if he's going to see any DH at bats in those situations. I would assume that he would still maybe get some there. So, I mean, maybe not losing all of his value at that point. Um, I think you would need a pretty deep bench for that to be worthwhile. Exactly. Yeah. It's not, it's going to be like if you're in like a 30 team league or something like that, or if you're in a very deep NL only league, then maybe that's the only time you would want to have him on your roster for much more than, I don't know. I, I would assume that Josh Bell is probably going to be back in about two or three days. That's the thing. Something like we've that. had. We've had no updates, and that's literally the whole reason that I'm making this suggestion is because there's no update on Josh Bell, so maybe he is gone for another week. Possible, So yeah. sp- speaking of weeks, uh, as far as daily versus weekly, if it's a weekly league, I honestly wouldn't bother with Zimmerman. Yeah. Uh, I, I think this is a daily lineup only thing because, like Jordan said, uh, if there is interleague play and Zimmerman is their main DH, then you know you can put him in for a series. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of a sneaky hitting streamer pick, honestly, mm-hmm. that I would, ugh, I'm actually kind of like you, you put this one in here in the notes and I'm kind of upset that I didn't think of it myself because I didn't realize honestly how much he was just absolutely killing the ball, but. Oh man, still got it. I giving giving hope tar- to us olds. I might have <laughs> giving hope to us olds. I might have to target him in a few leagues that are uh, a little bit deeper and then allow daily moves. But I like that one a lot. Speaking yeah. of another old who is infuriating 
Schwebzy in particular. Let's talk a little bit about this. Uh, we, we've got a Motha alert, a Mets old friend alert. Wilson Ramos. Oh, Ramos. Who, sorry, I'm, I'm reading my list out of order here. Yes. Wilson Ramos, who we'll get to another Mets old friend in just a second after we're t- done talking about Ramos. Wilson Ramos, I think, has four home runs on the year and is homered, homered in the last three games now. Yeah. For, for the Tigers. It. Yep. Um, Trebzy, uh two things. One, how does this make you feel? Two, would you like me to not tell the newspaper that you weren't mad? I've never been mad online before, especially not about former Mets killing it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Ramos has been on a tear the past few games and then just like has a just just a great start of the season in general. Um, there's there's a reason here. Like here, let, let, <sighs> let, let me take let me take this. So okay, as of okay. as of this moment, Wilson Ramos has a hundredth percentile average exit velo, which that That's means the highest. Me. That means he has the highest average exit velo at this moment and hard hit rate, which kind of go hand in hand. He's also striking out at twice the rate that he ever has before while hitting the ball on the ground. Basically never. He's got like a 20% ground ball rate right now. That's obscenely low. So he's also pulling the ball 70% of the time. I'm going to say that's a lot. It's obscenely high, just like the ground balls are obscenely low. This is textbook selling out for power. And in the world of deep league catchers, I would absolutely ride this until either the pitchers figure it out and start pitching him differently or until it just stops working. Like it's, I, I have him in like a couple leagues, partially because, you know, sometimes you just need a crappy second catcher. And, yeah, for sure. Uh, or And sometimes uh, I, I like to just bet on former Mets doing well because that just tends to happen. Because they're not on the Mets anymore. Yes, Mets exactly. being Mets. So uh, yeah, this is not the same Wilson Ramos that we've been watching for the past handful of years. This appears to be a very, very real approach change and his profile looks like a different player altogether. This looks like a Sam Huff profile, not Wilson Ramos. So I'm intrigued. I have him rostered in a couple of leagues, and so far the benefits have been great. Like I'm absolutely riding this. Like even if you have like a low tier catcher in a one catcher league, I might make the change until this hot streak ends. See, I just have like severe FOMO because I had him for. I mean the bare minimum in an auto new league. And I dropped him as like, cause I had three catchers on my team. I had, so I had, um, Sean Murphy and then Austin Nola. Nola's been out for the first like 10 games. He was on the IL because Ooh, of his thumb. Yeah. And then also Sean Murphy with his whole collapsed lung thing. I wasn't sure how he was going to be at the start of the season, but, uh, I figured, okay, the very obvious drop here is Wilson Ramos. He hasn't really done a whole lot the past few years. He's probably not going to be worth starting for these first few games. And then he just goes off in the first like eight games and hits four dingers. Absolutely absurd. Um, Second in the league in home runs. Wilson I think Ramos. This is, I think this is the first time I've actually really identified with you being a Mets fan and like having a former Met burn you because I've wanted nothing more than to have him on my roster right now. And he's still sitting on the wire. No one has picked him up in this auto new league that I'm referencing, but I'm on the borderline of trying to get him now again. Yeah. Uh, well, welcome, welcome, welcome to kind of being a Mets fan. I hate it here. God. Yeah. Anyways. Um, 
owned only in like 16% of leagues between ESPN and Yahoo right now. It's a possibility that he, well, a likelihood that he is still out there for you if you need a backup catcher or a second catcher for your two-catcher league. Uh, being that he is a catcher with a pulse, I would not be surprised at all if he graduated from the list this week. So yeah, Wilson Ramos, I still, uh, I don't, okay, I'm not going to play it. I'm not, I'm not going to start an auction for him in my outer new league. <laughs> I think simply out of spite at this point. Um, Do it. But someone to keep an eye on. If he continues selling out for this power and it sticks around, then hey, like if you're in a points league, if you're in an AL only league that you need that catcher, second catcher, take a flyer on him. Probably not that bad of an idea at this point. Yeah, I, I can't possibly wrap my head around the thought that he made this approach change, hit a bunch of dingers, and then like he would then go, I'm not, I'm going to stop hitting dingers now. Like, you know the if thing that made pre- me. Yeah. You know the thing that made me real good? Not going to do that anymore. Like Eric Hosmer? Eric Hosmer's had an amazing start to the season as well. It's been really fun to watch him. He's been great in my da- daily fantasy lineups. I really like that. Like, oh, look, I was finally good. Maybe I should keep doing that thing that made me good. <sighs> if only every player would do that, you know? If only. If only, like, if only. Like Starling Caster, I'm going to do that launch angle. <laughs> God. All right, moving to, I swear, this is going to be the last former Met that we talk about in this section. I can't promise for the rest of the episode because I don't actually remember who else we have. No, we're not going to talk about any more Mets for the rest of the episode after this. So y'all can uh, not with that attitude. stick around. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, Jed Lowry. Remember that guy? Do you remember him, Schwebs? No, I, I actually don't. I didn't really see him for two years. Um, so... <laughs> allegedly because the Mets didn't allow him to get surgery on his knee, which is incredibly messed up if that's actually true. Like I tend to believe the player in the situation because I feel like if a player tells someone like tells a reporter and like publicly announces that a team wouldn't let him get surgery, that kind of provides an, an alleyway for him to get blackballed by other teams. If he kind of disses on a former front office so I tend to believe him in this situation, but it's very like, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. Yeah. I mean, seeing that the former organization is the Mets, I have to believe that everyone else is like, oh yeah, that no, that sounds like a Mets thing. Come on, come on over Jed perform <sighs> for us, please. So it's easy to forget that two years ago, back when he had knees, he was a legitimately really good player. Like he put up like five war for Oakland yeah. before he signed with the Mets. Uh, he pairs strong plate discipline with enough pop to matter and he had back then the trust of Oakland to just run out there every day. Like he played like 150 plus games in 2018. So at this moment, it kind of looks like those Queens years never happened. And he's back to just doing exactly what he did in 2018. He's got a home run. Uh, his savant page looks really nice. There's uh, basically no blue on it. Uh, so yeah, like I don't, like basically, I I think his upside is like a set it and forget it middle infielder, maybe even in a twelve teamer. That's probably pushing it. But like like it's I said, like we were saying line. earlier, yeah, like maybe like a sixteen teamer then. But the thing about him is like there's not going to be like waves to ride. There's there's not going to be like ebbs and flows to his production. He is a set it and forget it kind of player. You can just leave him there and not think about that position unless he gets hurt. Yeah, I mean, he's someone who went completely undrafted, and I'm really annoyed with myself for not putting in any bids on him last week because someone nabbed him in my TGFBI league. And also, he's gone for like four or five bucks in both of my auto new leagues that I'm in. 
after I put in a $3 bid to try to get him as like a utility middle infielder. Like, and one thing I was hoping for at one point was that he was also going to potentially throughout the season, maybe get shortstop eligibility, Eh. but I kind of doubt it with Andrews there. Um, Yeah. Andrews is another one of those guys. He just plays every day. Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah. But as a middle infielder, like you said, in like a 12 team, I would say it's borderline that you're going to start him every day, set it and forget it type deal. There's probably enough second base talent out there that you can probably roster someone just as good, maybe better. But in like a 15, 16 teamer, that's deep enough. I think that he is kind of like you said, that set it and forget it guy. Someone that just because he's getting the regular reps, he's fine to throw in your lineup most days. Um, uh, like if you're someone who chases upside, he's not your guy. He's 36. He is what he is. He's not going to yeah. get better than he was in like 2018. So like if you look at that 2018 line and you're like, yeah, I, w- I would like that out of my middle infielder, then you know you can expect probably a little bit less than that from a three-year older Jed Lowry. For sure. Yeah. Reaching the twilight of his career at this point, obviously he's not going to. I mean, not everyone can be Nelson Cruz and just continue to rake into their 40s. He is the exception to the rule. Um, but Jed Lowry is totally, I mean, especially at second base being such a shallow position, we really need to find value where we can get it. And if you got a guy that's getting as many reps as he is and still performing relatively well for a team that I think is actually very sneakily, like a very good offensive team when they want to be in the A's. Um, when they're not facing the Astros, basically. Essentially, yes. That's what it comes down to. Um, although, didn't they just beat the Astros 6-2? to two? They may have. I know that they started off the season pretty rough. Yeah. Anyways, but uh, Jed Lowry, I think someone that right now, I don't know if we said this before, he's owned in 1% of leagues aggregated between ESPN and Yahoo. So he is, in almost every case, going to be there for you if you would like to snag someone who is nice and reliable at that second base position. Feel free to grab him. Now, moving from a little bit of homerism on Schweb's side to a little bit of homerism on my side, as much as I am sad to say this, Travis Shaw has actually been pretty good to start the season. I'm a known and avid Travis Shaw disliker. I really don't necessarily enjoy rostering him on any of my teams because I just feel like he's so streaky as a hitter. But he has started the season fairly hot, especially like in this last series against the Cardinals. He's gone five for 11 with a homer and four RBIs been kind of killing it um especially for an offense like the brewers that's been relatively anemic to start the season schwebzy do you have any feelings on travis shaw i know this is one that you this is one that you added to the list but i kind of expanded on a bit in our notes i I don't know how you feel about him well i mean he's mainly on the list for two reasons uh one of them is to see you squirm the other is to uh, just bring up that his nickname is the mayor of Ding Dong City or Ding Dong Town, which is a fantastic The mayor nickname. of Ding Dong City, yes. The uh, mayor the of Ding Dong City. And I would like to expand that to, to also christen him like the, the Duke of Dinger Duchy. Or the, baron just, of, uh, the Baron of Bomborough. There's so many ways you can go with this. I love it. It's such a good nickname. Something like that, yeah. It's, 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 it's a nickname. So... It's uh, something from an on the field perspective on the fantasy fields. Uh, Travis Shaw was my backup bid in case I did not get Philip Evans this week. So again, this is, you know, this is production that I'm betting on. Uh, I, I like guys with uh, 
so Travis Shaw, Travis Shaw had a weird thing where like he used to be good at making contact and then all of a sudden he wasn't good at making contact anymore. Well, he was a guy that walked like 15 plus percent of the time in 2018. I think it was the year that he really popped off. And I think, I think that year he struck out about an equal amount to what he walked, which is around like 16 or 17%. I can't remember the exact number, but it just like disappeared after that. I mean, I, I saw that he started off hot. I was hoping for a bit of a return to those old plate skills. And yeah, he was like, it was my backup plan. Yeah. And like so far his season, like when you look at it on paper, just like the counting stats, it looks pretty all right. But what we also have to look at is like the underlying data here. And what it says is that he's due for a ton of regression because like all of his expected stats so far are being vastly outpaced by his actual stats. So when you look at his ex-WOBA and subtract that from his actual WOBA, there's a gap of 72 points. So his ex-WOBA is 72 points lower than his actual WOBA. Same thing with his batting average. It's 65 points higher than his ex-WOBA. And his walk rate is only at 4% so far this year. So he's swinging and missing at a lot of stuff. One of the big issues is that he wasn't walking as much and his K rate was super elevated. And that seems to still be the case. I think he's just running into some balls and getting kind of lucky so far early in this season. I could be wrong in this case. And maybe this is an actual tangible change that he made in his approach. And that's why he's seeing better results. But everything in the underlying data states otherwise I'm personally steering clear of him unless you just need someone who's going to be starting regularly at a corner infield spot and is going to accrue stats. It's nonsense, Jordan. We're never wrong here. We're, I would say, we've been right a lot so far. I will say that. We've been right a fair amount so far, which feels very, very good. I think that we're also, I think much like Travis Shaw, we're due for some regression. We're running into some right now. Along but, with never being mad on the internet about former Mets, I've also never been wrong on the internet. <laughs> Notably, Schwebzy, never wrong on the internet. Oh, uh, speaking of former Mets, I do have to bring this up just once just to stay on brand. Schwebzy, we said Buxton, we were done. I'm not done. I'm never done. Byron Buxton hit a home run off of Chris Flexen today. And basically, Byron Buxton is my hero. Like, Oh, yeah. I mean, it didn't, it didn't make my wife come back, but like, it did make me feel really good. <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry about that, but I am, I am also glad that you had a little bit of a retribution secondhand uh, by Byron Buxton against Chris Flexen for stealing your wife. That was the most cathartic non-Met home run that I've ever experienced. And you slept through it. Ooh, you were napping actually, when it happened. Two. No, my, The most cathartic uh, home run for me ever was Mike Brusso hitting that dinger off of Chapman in last year's playoffs. That was beautiful. That was number, this, quite This sick. is a close, close number two, though. I think that was very cathartic for a lot of people, uh, oh, God, not yeah. just you as a Mets fan, but obviously for all the Rays fans out there and for Mike Brasso, if we're being completely honest, that was and wonderful. Everyone, everyone who doesn't like Araldis Chapman for all the reasons that you shouldn't like Araldis Chapman. There's lots of them. Um, but anyways, we were talking, wait, who are we talking about? We were, oh, we were talking about Travis Shaw. Travis we were wrapping Shaw. up talking about Travis Shaw. Again, I'm sorry that we have to talk about Mets so much on this podcast. But there's always there's always Why a connection. That? I don't know. I think it's so like, like we'll, this weird we'll that. Guy. Talk, I'll talk. I'll talk to our producers, which don't exist. It's very funny. Yeah, I was going to say it's very funny that anyone <laughs> would ever think that we have producers. This is a very much self-produced podcast. Uh, moving on, let's talk about uh, Robbie Grossman real quick. I'm not going to say a whole lot about Robbie Grossman. 
I think that the biggest thing about Robbie Grossman is that he's been leading off in seven of the eight games that the Tigers have played so far. And because of that, he's a bit appeasing. Also, it's hilarious that he started off after the first series of the season. He had a 615 OBP with a zero average. It remains hilarious to me that that was the case. He had like eight walks in that first series and no hits and just had this amazing on-base percentage. Um, But again, I guess the one thing that you really, really want from your leadoff hitters is that they can get on base. Uh, The nice thing about this too is that he does have a decent bit of speed, so there is some stolen base upside there as well. So if you are looking for someone who can steal you some bases in your deeper league, like an AL-only league, Grossman's a pretty good choice because he should be getting on base at a decent clip. And even though it's a subpar offense in the Tigers, there is some upside there. Like we said, we just talked about Wilson Ramos before, who's been hitting a ton of dingers. You have someone like Akil Badu, who's also been showing out. As long as he continues to get playing time, maybe he can produce as well. So although it's a subpar offense, still a moderate amount of upside there. And if you're hitting at the top of any lineup, you're always going to have some value. So Robbie Grossman, a guy who's only owned in like 4%, of ESPN and Yahoo leagues aggregated someone to keep an eye on and someone to maybe uh field if you need some stolen base help yeah no he's a he's a really nice glue guy because he's not going to hurt you anywhere and he's kind of like an outfield Joey Wendell a little less batting average a little bit it's I'd, I'd agree with that um we we just like to relate everything back to Joey Wendell here apparently yes he always finds a way in I don't know how I, I just I mean we we mostly have Zach Dobroff to thank for that because he embedded joey wendell into our psyche all those nights hanging out in plaid but uh, i mean the the nice thing about grossman is that the ridiculous amount of playing time if you're because if you're in the leadoff spot you naturally will get more playing appearances over the course of a season is that helps those counting stats that helps you know he i, I don't necessarily think he has like 15 15 capability if he's hitting like seventh or eighth but in the leadoff spot those extra plate appearances might get him there for sure yeah um Moving on, we're going to start talking about some pitchers now. Let's talk about a guy that we talked about previously on the pod, someone that I spoke on, Aaron Sanchez, currently owned in 1% of ESPN and Yahoo Leagues aggregated. He had his first start since 2019 this past week, and he threw pretty well. He got 74 pitches up and scattered six hits over five innings and only gave up one run and struck out four, which is pretty... Oh, and he walked no one, which was pretty great too. So he was fairly efficient in his first start. Uh, which is fantastic. He faced the Padres, which is a pretty strong lineup, even though Tatis with his injured shoulder was not in the lineup. It's still pretty formidable to look at from atop the hill, but fared very, very well. Um, We saw basically what we expected from Sanchez in terms of his pitch mix. So he was leaning pretty heavily on his sinker and curve combo for that one-two punch. Uh, It accounted for basically 70% of his pitch mix. And the curve looked really, really good. I got to say for his first outing, it drew five whiffs and accounted for three of his four strikeouts on the day and got a 36% CSW, which was right where we want it to be. The one big bugaboo that I had was yes, he only threw 76 pitches, which is about what you would expect probably from a guy who's starting his first game in almost two years. He started out hitting about 92 or 93 on his fastball, but his last one, I think, was only 88 or 89 miles per hour against Tommy Pham, which he got a strikeout on, but he clearly has a whole lot of work to do to get into game shape and go a little bit deeper. So if you, there's games where he's not efficient, he's probably only going to make it like three and a third, four innings, something like that. 
So it's something to keep an eye on if you're throwing him out there as a streamer, but seeing pretty respectable CSW numbers on the sinker and the curveball is pretty encouraging. Uh, Schwebs, what do you think about Aaron Sanchez? Uh, I mean, I, I think we're more, we got really obsessed with strikeouts as like a fantasy community for a little bit. Yes. I think we're seeing a little bit of a bounce back with that, with guys like uh, Yarbrough and Hendricks getting the respect they deserve. And sinker heavy guys can in fact still succeed and Aaron Sanchez falls into that bucket like it helps that he can get those swings and misses on his curveball like I'm actually going to talk about that with another player in a little bit but being able to either get weak contact or swings and misses depending on which pitches you're using is a really valuable skill and Sanchez brings that at his best it's just a matter of can he be his best and how long in each game can he be his best? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is on his sinker, he had a CSW of 28%, but those were all called strikes. So he's not getting a ton of swing and miss, which makes sense because sinkers usually aren't a pitch that you're trying to get a whole lot of swing and miss on, but it seems like he's doing a good job picking his spots with that, uh, catching corners. So really encouraging to see. And that curveball did look like a legit swing and miss pitch again. Like it did, like when it's on, that was always demo. It was like when he was throwing his curveball well, he looked great. But if there's a game where he just doesn't have that, I feel like he's going to get knocked around quite a bit. So, I mean, until he can build his arm up and still maintain that velocity, because like we, I remember talking about it, he was hitting like 96 to 98 in that bullpen session before he got signed by the Giants. And now he's only hitting 92, 93 in his starts and then tailing off to like 88, 89. Keep an eye on it. And if he can build that arm up a bit more, then I would feel more comfortable starting him uh, with regularity. But for a first start, pretty dang good. I, I I think in order to maintain that velocity, I would implement more jorts into his workout routine. That's a really good call. I mean, it would probably improve his mobility. Right. Um, keep Flexibility. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, just kind of letting the dogs breathe, you know? You got to let them breathe sometimes. Uh, anyways. <laughs> All right. So uh, in, in classic pitcher list fashion, we're going to go a little long today. A little long? We're going to go we very like, long today. We got like six people to talk about yet. This has been right. a marathon. Let's keep so, going. All right. So we've got two kinds of players that we want to talk about now. We're going to talk about some deep bench ads. Now, mm-hmm. these are for you guys out there that are in particularly deep leagues where you can bench six, seven guys and maybe stash people that you're not going to use immediately. Yep. So one of those guys that I want to talk about is Chris Rodriguez. And this is who I was alluding to in that uh, Aaron Sanchez bit about the guys who can get soft contact and also get swings and misses. So with Chris Rodriguez, we've got a 22 year old getting his first taste of the majors. He's throwing multiple innings per appearance you know, in kind of that old Freddie Peralta kind of mode where he's having these two, three inning relief appearances. He looked good against the Astros, which is not a easy team to face. So in spite of utilizing a sinker, he's already, he's still getting a K per inning and that'll play for a guy getting the contact the way he is. He's only allowing an 18.8% hard hit rate, which is awesome. That's like amongst the league leaders. So if you're and on top of that, he's also getting a 40% whiff rate on his curveball. 
we were actually we were looking for comps before on this player and Aaron Sanchez might actually be the comp now now that we're looking back at it because like he he can ramp the fastball up to like you know the the high 90s not quite like 100 but like 97 98 and like there's talk about him being a rotation candidate at some point this year and if that happens he's very clearly got the stuff to be fantasy relevant combining weak contact with strikeouts is gold so I'd really like to see a third pitch from him. As of right now, it's like 90% fastballs and curveballs, uh, with that being like two-thirds fastballs. Uh, so Supposedly, he's got a good changeup, according to scouting reports. He's getting whiffs on it right now, but he's not throwing it that much. I want to see a more consistent third pitch thrown more often. I've already got him stashed in a league or two. Like I think we could see some really good starts from him later in the year. Yeah, I mean... If we're talking about someone also who I, I don't think it's impossible to find success with just two pitches. Like we think about someone like Kevin Gaussman who really literally only has his fastball and his splitter and that's pretty much it um, and manages to get by and perform very, very well. So it's not like impossible, but it is always nice to have that third pitch that can get you a strike or get you a whiff uh, in a big spot. So hopefully he does. I mean, and that's the thing too, is as a reliever, maybe because of what he does and what his current job is, he, that's why he doesn't need to rely on that third pitch as much. But if he does have a good changeup, right. as the scouting report says, we could see him if he gets into an actual starting role, leading into that a little bit more. So who's to say? I mean, we like what we see so far. This is this is like a profile that I really enjoy is like sinker ballers who have like a legit out pitch is some of my favorite people to roster. Um, and he was honestly completely off my radar until tonight. Like I didn't know who Chris Rodriguez was until you brought him up. So I love, we're learning I love when I can bring a guy up and you go, who? Yeah, exactly. That's, I think that's our favorite game to play with each other is who can stump the other person when it comes to finding someone who's not like rostered almost anywhere. And this was one that I had zero clue about. So Schwebzy's kind of winning that battle right now. Uh, and now I am motivated to do the exact same thing to him. So, Something to be said for Chris Rodriguez and his situation as far as playing time is that he's on the Los Angeles Angels and some players that are in the Los Angeles Angels rotation are Jose Quintana, who has been abysmal so far this year, and Andrew Heaney, Shohei Otani, Griffin Canning, not guys who are paragons of health. And I am very sorry for putting that out into the universe uh, regarding Otani. But yeah, there's a there's a very, very good chance that some starts are going to open up in that rotation at some point this year. And Chris Rodriguez is being stretched out to maybe take advantage. Like he's thrown at he's thrown up to three innings already, at least, I believe. Exactly. And the nice thing is too, is like when you have someone like Otani who now has like this blister issue, so he's probably not gonna pitch. I think they may have said he was gonna pitch in the first half of this week potentially after skipping his start on Sunday. It's like giving his uh, hand a few extra days to heal. Um, And like you said before, with other people on that pitching staff not being paragons of health, which obviously we hope that everyone stays healthy. But if you get a guy like this who can put up decent ratios, has like a very like a high 90s fastball with a legit out pitch and could possibly get some spot starts. This seems like a really, really easy speculative ad, especially if you have like a division game where you're playing against the Mariners. It was like a below which offense, like if you can stream him against the Mariners, if he happens to get a start against them, that seems like a no brainer. So 
definitely a good uh, call out here. Schwebs, I really, really like this one a lot. Yeah, I want every pitcher to stay healthy unless Chris Flexen comes down with a case of launched into the sun. <laughs> in which case, yeah. I'm okay. In, in so, case Chris Flexen get, get, uh, comes down with a case of gives my wife back. <laughs> so, on, on a related note with stinker ballers who might have an out pitch. Good segue. Uh, yes. Wow. Our boy. Segue. Hey, I'm the host. I'm supposed to be doing the segues here. We're talking about our an boy. Opportunity. I saw an opportunity uh, and I took it. We're talking about our best mustachioed boy, Randy Dobnak, someone that we both love dearly. Uh, Dobnak has not looked great to start the year and it's going to be really easy to go into panic mode. Uh, but you can't blame us, even if his savant page is a deep blue right now for sticking with him. You got to understand that he's only pitched three innings so far this season, and that sample size is so incredibly small that I'm not willing to buy into the data that is currently there. There's some stuff that I just don't think do his profile is going to stick. He's also been thrust in some really awkward spots. Like his first appearance was against the Brewers where he came in in the ninth with no outs or to get no outs. Uh, allowed a single to Omar Narvaez before giving up like a very weak chopped ground ball to Orlando Arcia, who's not even on the Brewers anymore. He's now in Atl- uh, part of Atlanta's roster. So we can strike that from the records. He's not even there anymore. That one doesn't count because he doesn't play for the Brewers anymore. Yes, he now plays for Atlanta. Um, and then his second outing was a three inning outing where he gave up five runs, including two homers. And like, he's not a guy that gives up a ton of fly balls in general. He's also not a guy who's going to give up a 40% home run to fly ball ratio. No. For the year. That's not what his profile is. I am totally okay with just chalking this one up to variance and just calling it a day and moving on. So this is just your reminder, though Randy Dobnak has had a rough start to the season. Please, please, please do not give up on him because he is good legitimately i believe that he is good and he will eventually get an opportunity to start for that minnesota roster um yeah it's it's deeply upsetting to me that the minnesota twins roster both randy dobnak who has a mustache and you should stash him and then they also roster cody stashak who you should neither stash and he does not have a mustache <laughs> oh my god very like- very upsetting for me can can I, I I mean I know that this is a podcast and it is not a visual medium, but seeing Schwebzy's brain work on video <laughs> from point A to point B for that whole line was truly incredible. My train of thought does loop de loops. The hamster was spinning. The hamster wheel was spinning in his head, and it was very wonderful to watch. <laughs> very good. Okay, moving on from Randy Dobnak, our last deep bench ad. Someone that made their debut today. It was today. Yes, it was. To, uh, yep. It's been such a long Sunday. I apologize. Uh, he made his debut today, Sunday. Uh, Brent Honeywell. So I think Shrubs and I would mostly defer to Overlord Nick Pollock for this one. There's a really good gift breakdown on PitcherList.com that you should go check out that Nick did. Edited by me, of course. <laughs> uh, yeah, in his debut, so he only went two innings, uh, but he... They were good innings. Showed us, they were good innings. They were very, very good innings. Uh, didn't give up any runs. I don't know how many Ks he had offhand. Two Ks. Thank you very much, Schwebs. Um, but there was a lot to be excited about in that first look. Schwebs, did you get a chance to watch the game or check Nick's uh, gift breakdown? 
So I didn't get to watch the game because I'm from New York and they were playing. Oh, I forgot about that. And it was blacked out because blackouts are stupid. But the curse of living in New York and having not just one, not just two, but three blacked out games in one day. Thanks, MLB.tv. Thanks, MLB. But no, it was a I I did watch the gift breakdown. Uh, It looked like what you want, which uh, is fastball command and several usable breakers. That's a formula to successful pitching. If he's got a changeup that he can use well, a slider that he can use well, and then locating the fastball, that's similar to the Dylan Bundy profile. For sure. Yeah. Like, I I don't know that either of his breakers will be quite as good as Bundy's, but like that's, that's Bundy's formula. It's, it's not an elite fastball, but if he can locate that well while getting swings and misses on several other pitches, that's, you know, that'll play. We didn't see much of the screwball, you know, I like I, I in my head, like screwball and Brent Honeywell Jr. are like inextricable. Like it's just that's yeah. what I think of when I think of him. But he according to Savant, he only threw one and uh, it kind of just looked like a change up. So, yeah, pretty I much. Know. I know I, th- I saw somewhere on Twitter. I cannot think for the life of me who it was that said that. But someone said that we ne- didn't actually see a legit screwball from him today. Like the actual screwball. Apparently it was like a screwball light version. Honestly, for the sake of his arm, I wouldn't be mad if he just scrapped it. He looked like he could get by without it. Well, that's the thing too, is he has, so he has beside the screwball, he has a four seam fastball change up and cutters, three pitches. He had a greater than 40% CSW on both the four seamer and the change up. It is only two innings. I understand that. Um, but then also at a 33% CSW on the cutter, which is totally serviceable. Um, I would say like, if it does help protect his arm, I would like him to not throw the screwball. Like for me as a baseball fan, I want to see someone throw a screwball and see that show up on the savant sliders throughout the year. Cause he would be the only person in the majors that throws a screwball to my knowledge. But I mean, supposedly, supposedly some, some people like to think that Devin Williams curveball can be classified as a screwball. Oh, you mean his change up? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And obviously I would never make that mistake. The only reason, really the only reason that it's not classified as a screwball is because of the grip. I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. Like, but, like he throws, he throws it with the change up grip, but like pronates like crazy. He pronates like crazy and it just rolls off those. Yeah. It's, oh, it's so fun to watch him pitch. My goodness. Anyways. Um, but yes, Honeywell has three serviceable pitches besides that screwball. So if it's going to help him stay healthy and protect that arm, please avoid throwing it. Um, and if you're returning a CSW of 40 plus on your two primary offerings, that'll play, especially if you have the cutter to back that up as well. I mean, we saw pretty much everything that we wanted to see out of Honeywell today. I think that was a really encouraging first appearance. I think that they're going to continue to build him up and he'll probably be a stalwart of that rotation by season's end if he can stay healthy. Fingers crossed. Um, I, I just don't see him not getting the opportunities as the season goes on. Yeah, they just lost Chris Archer. I'm not sure about the severity of that injury, but they are down a man. Exactly. But I mean, between their bullpen and their rotation, they're down a lot of mans. But uh, yeah, we we want to see Honeywell in the rotation, ideally. Absolutely. Um, I just want to see him have one, that like one very healthy season. Ooh, Archer placed on injured list with forearm tightness. Don't like that. Yeah, that's not great. Um. It's interesting that they said forearm and not elbow. Mm-hmm. It's maybe slightly more encouraging, I hope, but 
we'll see what happens. Hopefully he is all right as well. Cause I was obviously this year excited to see him. Yes. And how he we really wanted to see a return to form. So see how that rolls as well. Um, all right. So finally, we're going to take some time here at the end of the show to talk about some potential uh, to start pitchers to think about starting with Wade Miley. So Miley's only owned in like six or 7% of leagues. And this past Tuesday, he cruised to a pretty easy win against, obviously, the Pirates uh, after the Reds put up 14 runs on them in that game. So it wasn't like he necessarily had to pitch super well to get the win. He just had to get through five innings. Um, While they're arguably the easiest assignment in the league for a pitcher, especially now that Brian Hayes is on the IL, Miley has two more pretty good matchups this coming week. He has one in San Francisco. I believe that would be today on the day that this releases, so it may be a little bit too late for you to get him for that one. Uh, And then again later in the week at home versus Cleveland. So in his start against Pittsburgh, he had six Ks over six innings using that cutter changeup mix that he usually keeps as his one and two offerings. But he's not going to be a heavy strikeout guy frequently. He's probably going to be less than a strike or nine strikeouts per nine throughout the year. He's just a guy that likes to use that pitch mix to really limit hard contact. It's just for him, the big bugaboo has been staying healthy for the past few years. Like over the past four seasons, I think he's had like one truly healthy season. And that was back in 2019 when he was with Houston. He had like a 3.98 ERA. Yeah, basically since he's been good, he hasn't been able to stay healthy. Exactly. Yeah. The one small downside about... Because usually, I mean, in the past, obviously... 2020 aside, Oracle Park was notoriously very much a pitcher's park. That said, the gate in right field is remaining open, which is the cause. Wait, is it open or closed? No, it is. I'm I'm aghast because we should have opened with that. That's really important news because so many streamers are giants. That's true. Um, Yes, so the right field gate is staying open. Uh, in Oracle Park for the meantime, which means that what is expected to be a now hitter-friendly Oracle will remain for the time being. So that makes that matchup slightly less good for Miley. But the thing is, he's a guy that limits hard contact. He tries to keep the ball on the ground for the most part. He should be able to avoid getting too much damage dealt to him when he starts there. And that Reds offense has been really, really hot to start the year. So I feel like they're going to be able to give him the run support they need to maybe snag him a few wins this week. Like I said at the top, he's owned only like 6 or 7% of leagues, depending on where you're getting him at. Even if you can only get him for that second start, go pick him up. Seems like a great streamer for this week. Yeah. I mean, we we are generally uh, very vocal about how we like to uh, to try to snag Cincinnati pitchers. So oh, for sure. Miley falls right in there. I'm I'm mostly excited to uh, have Wade Wade Miley and Tyler Malley on the same team to cause confusion. Oh God, that would be awful. Malley is oh God. I'm Malley's one that I'm also very very high on. I wish that I, I mean I, I do Malley. I do love Malley. I do love Malley. I do still wish that TJ Antone would be getting starts. I really hope I that he finds his way into the rotation at some point, which I think it's inevitable, but. Oh, also, someone that actually has been okay. Just while we're talking about Reds, Jeff Hoffman actually has been pretty reasonable so far in the few starts that he's got, or in the start that he's gotten. I started. I, I streamed him in a few leagues this uh, this past start, and he did not do very well. 
Yeah, the last start was not great. The first start was good. The, this past start was not super great. But I mean, he's another guy that in the right matchup, again, this Reds offense has been blowing up really in this year. So if you're trying to get some cheap wins, potentially, those are some guys that you can kind of target as well. Um, let's move on to the second two-star pitcher we want to talk about here, Schwebs. Let's talk about... Waskar Inoa. Waskar Inoa. Thank you. Gotcha, buddy. So this this is purely a pick for if you're feeling frisky because this is not one of my favorite streamer picks of the week. I actually, I actually, I like a lot of the guys that qualify to be a streamer this week. I'm not a fan of this is. I think this is a tough week for two pick two start streamers. But if you're feeling frisky and want to go for an upside pick, Enoa has a killer schedule. He gets to see Miami at home, which is uh, Atlanta, and then he's pitching at Wrigley Field against the Cubs. So if you look at which teams have scored the fewest runs per game this year up to this point that is the marlins and the cubs so uh you might be looking at you know if if they continue to struggle then you could be looking at some nice games for uh, era for Enoa. and with the cubs specifically they have been striking out a ton yes so, they've been that's been in a i mean i've i've mostly honestly i've watched a ton of cubs games this year mostly just so i could hear boog call games because Boog is like one of my favorite people to listen to as far as commentators go. It's like him and like Orsillo and then like Brian Anderson uh, for the Brewers are like my three favorite commentators that I like to listen to. So yeah, Cubs offense, very, very bad this year. Right. It's It hasn't been pretty. And in his start against the Nationals, Enoa got 12 whiffs on his slider, which is really good. Now right. he got he got none on his fastball. And so this is what I'm worried about with Enoa. He I, I showed you his pitch chart before this. You and did. Like it's it's kind of gross. He threw basically like I, I it was like 30% of his pitches in the zone or something. It wasn't pretty at all, but it was effective because he just got so many swings and misses on his slider. So the key is going to be getting into those two strike counts since he knows what to do once he gets into them and that's throw that slider for strike three. But I, I just, I, I can't believe he gets away with this approach forever. And we have to keep in mind that his success was against the COVID depleted nationals lineup. Yes. So yeah, this stream is not for the faint of heart. Uh, I I'm doing it in, I think one league where I, I think I can afford the risk, but uh, if nothing else, the slider is really, really legit. So if the fast, like I, I think at, at this point in time, he's a two pitch pitcher. So yeah, yeah, risky, but I, I think it, the the results could uh, warrant the risk. Yeah, I mean, I think like this one, and then the next one that I'm going to talk about, like I, these are like your desperation two start pitchers. If you're in like a very deep league and you really, really need some help, and like if it's like a weekly league, but you have daily moves, things like that. Um, these are some pretty speculative ones. I will say that. Though that fastball is abysmal, like we looked at just simply the fastball chart, and he threw like I don't like I don't know what the percentage was for actual strikes, not counting the ones that like got whiffs or were co- weren't called strikes. Um, but that fastball scares me. But that slider is awful sexy and would probably lure me in. So real quick, the wobas on his pitches so far this year, he's given up a three fifty eight woba on his four seamer a 391 Woba on his sinker and a zero Woba on his slider. So he might not even be a two pitch pitcher. He might be a one pitch pitcher. It sounds like he's a a good slider. It's a real good slider though. He should throw the slider more. 
That's just my opinion. If I were Waska or Enoa, I would simply only throw sliders. If only, if only. I mean, I think that more pitchers could benefit by pitching backwards more often. Yeah. If he could ever but, get a swing and miss on his fastball. Yeah, exactly. It, really, um, it, it, it comes in at 96 on average. You would think like he could elevate that and get some swings and misses, but he just wasn't even putting it in the zone. I mean, I think that if he did pitch backwards and just like buried that slider a whole bunch at the bottom of the zone, he could probably get some pretty abysmal swing and miss stuff from batters by throwing that fastball elevated. So why don't we wrap up with uh, your final streamer? Who okay. you? So you told me about your pick here and I was like, oh yeah, the slider guy. And you were like, uh-uh-uh. So who, who do we got? Okay, so... My last pick is someone that is incredibly speculative because he might not even be a starting pitcher after the spot start that he got this past week. But if he does end up continuing to get starts into this week, he could get two this week. And he's got a new pitch that is very, very appeasing to me. Jacob Junis from the Royals. So he made a spot start this past Wednesday and is still very much basically just seen as a long reliever. For the team in most people's eyes. That said, he went head to head against Shane Bieber and actually fared pretty well against them in Cleveland. He got through five innings on 58 pitches, which is crazy efficient, only giving up one hit and then walked two while striking out six. So like overall, a really, really good showing from him. I will say that Junis's fastball is not very good. It's probably actively bad. It's only got like a 15% CSW in the start and only averages about 91 miles per hour usually which is not great. You're not going to blow anyone away with that speed in today's game. But no one really talks about the fact that Jacob Junis, except for like one article that I was able to find, talks about that he added a cutter to his pitch mix. Now, as Schweb's previously mentioned, Junis is a guy that is known for his really, really good slider. But if you're not paying close enough attention, you wouldn't have even been able to tell that he added this new cutter because it does have a similar movement profile to the slider. The cutter is about four miles an hour faster than his slider, which sits around like 80, 81. So the cutter's around like 84, 85-ish usually. What was most impressive to me about this start is how well he located both his slider and his cutter during this start. He had a 57% CSW on 14 cutters thrown and only threw, I think it was six sliders. Five of those six sliders were called for strikes and the other one was swung and missed on. So he had 100% CSW on his slider in the start as well. So his slider, still very good, just throwing it way less and leaning on that cutter as his second offering, which is still excellent. Um, I think that I would be comfortable taking a flyer on Junis in an AL-only league where you're light on starting pitchers and looking to speculate on someone who could turn into a starter as the season goes on. Beyond that, I'm still keeping him on my watch lists as a guy to add if they decide that they want to keep stretching him out and throwing him in the rotation. Um, and obviously, like he's in a division where you have both Detroit and Cleveland, which are subpar offenses. So if he happens to get streaming starts against either of those teams, I'm fine throwing him in on those days. It seems like a great value that not a lot of people are keeping an eye on. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can totally see that because I was not keeping an eye on him. And I feel like I'm keeping an eye <laughs> on everyone. But... Yeah, so the the really interesting thing for me with Junis's profile so far is that, you know, on top of like so he adopted the cutter, right? Yes. And you you would think that 
when you're a fastball slider pitcher and you adopt a cutter that the pitch that would suffer is the fastball as far as usage, right? Mm-hmm. But instead, his sinker, his slider rate plummeted and his four-seamer rate went up even more. He threw his four-seamer almost 60% of the time. Yeah, he used it a bunch in the start, which and, I don't know if that's going to be indicative of what his profile will be the whole season, but it's interesting to note at this point. Yeah, so we're probably underselling it a little bit, like how just how good his slider was before, but it was like a truly elite slider. So it's very odd that his slider usage dropped to almost 10%. I, I definitely am going to be keeping an eye on like what his pitch mix is going forward. It feels like a bad decision. Like maybe it'll work, but it feels wrong. And I'm wondering like, there. so obviously this is one start. This is not a whole lot to go off of. And obviously I don't think they were expecting to get five innings out of him in this appearance. Like 58 pitches over five innings is a very efficient start. They were probably expecting like two or three innings out of him tops is my Papa, guess. Papa Nick Pollock would say blame it on Cleveland. Yes, he would say blame it on Cleveland. Also, I can't believe that we've called Nick both Papa and Overlord in this episode, rather than just saying, Nick, this person that we know and hang out with, we just very much refer to him as like this godlike figure at all times. It is one twenty in the morning on the East Coast. We are almost 90 minutes into this recording. I am very close to calling him Daddy Nick Pollock. Let us go, Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Um, yeah, so to wrap up, Jacob Junis, someone that I actually have speculatively added to my TGFBI team because I knew he would be essentially free, which he was. I got him for a dollar. No one really trying to find him anywhere. I'm going to try to add him in both of my auto new leagues if I can. Uh, I'm putting in bids on him tonight to hopefully get him for a buck, super cheap. But I think that there is something there based off of, like, off of this one start. The cutter intrigues me a ton with how effective he was with it. And if you can use that and pair it with the slider to make both the offerings a little bit better, I mean, why not? It seems like just a free gamble at this point. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 always going to be intrigued by him just a little bit because I know he had that elite slider before, and I'm I'm always uh, I, I'm always intrigued by these guys who have that just one elite pitch and can't figure it out, like uh, Junis or uh, oh god, who's that? Trevor Richards from Tampa Bay and his elite changeup, like those kind there of guys are are always going to grab my attention. For sure. All right. I think that's all we got for this week, don't we, Schwebs? Isn't that enough? Isn't that enough? Aren't you people satisfied? What more do you want from me? All right. That's going to do it for us this week here at In the Deep. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. Uh, Keep an eye out next week, actually, as we're going to be streaming our recording process, which I promise you is much more hectic and insane the actual podcast you hear this week so if you want to have some fun with us and like leave some comments on there maybe ask us some questions in chat while we prep and record the podcast that would be excellent if you liked what you heard here feel free to follow us at in the deep pl or individually at bunt singles for me or schwebsy for schwebsy that's s-h-w-e-b-s-i and then make sure to subscribe and leave a review on spotify apple podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasty things schwebsy send them out Bye, friends.